0: You are listening to The Long Game Podcast. I'm your host, Sandra Skyano. Today, I'm continuing the conversation on artificial intelligence or AI. It's technology that we use every day, whether we realize it or not. In part one on this topic, I enumerated brands that utilize AI technology and by proxy, how we as customers to those brands are using AI. There's two sides to the artificial intelligence coin, though, with some pretty strong opinions on each. And with the advancements in the area of AI, there are ethical and equitable issues that arise. How does who builds this technology affect the outcome? What happens when computers are acquiring their learnings from the general public with all of those biases? And how does security and privacy figure into all of this? These are some of the questions and more that you haven't thought of when it comes to artificial intelligence. And we as business owners, we need to be aware of the conversations and ramifications surrounding the technology that we employ. Today, we are diving into the darker side of artificial intelligence and bringing ideas to consider to the forefront. The long game is Artificial Intelligence and Your Business, Part 2. who are going through the same struggles of building a business as you are. We'll hear from successful entrepreneurs sharing their long game strategies, and I'm fun, so we're gonna have a little fun along the way too. Thanks for being here. Let's get to today's episode. All right, so let me first say that part one on this topic was created last week, and you don't have to listen to these in order. But if you want to get an overview of what AI is and how businesses are using it, be sure to listen to the Artificial Intelligence and Your Business Part 1 episode. We have established that artificial intelligence is all around us. It's in our entertainment, our healthcare, our transportation, and in our shopping. It's something that we don't really think of unless it's a super techie or super invasive project getting publicity. And it's designed like that. Artificial intelligence runs in the background of the software and apps that we engage with. Its whole purpose is to collect and analyze data and not be so obvious and front and center. But there are times when it is painfully obvious that we're interacting with it. And one of the most obvious are when it comes to chatbots and our Alexa and Siri device interactions. So what are some of the darker sides of using AI technology, most notably machine learning here? Well, there are a few. And a recent Mashable story states, Meta's new BlenderBot 3 AI chatbot, which was released in the U.S. on August 5th of 2022, is already making headlines, you know, and a host of false statements based on interactions it had with real humans online. So chatbots learn how to interact by talking with the public. And Meta is encouraging adults to talk with the bot in order to help it have natural conversations about a wide range of topics. But that means the chatbot can also learn misinformation from the public, too. And in the case of this newly launched chatbot, it has learned fake news and anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, among other items. The headline to this Mashable article says it all. It took just one weekend for Meta's new AI chatbot to become racist but let's understand a little bit more about how it works. So also Mashable referenced. Meta's BlenderBot 3 can search the internet to talk with humans about nearly anything. It can do all this while leaning on the abilities of past versions of the bot, like personality, empathy, knowledge, and the ability to have long-term memory pertaining to the conversations it's had. So basically AI enables machines to learn to acquire this information, to remember it, and to regurgitate the knowledge, all with a little sass, potentially. (laughs) And this isn't the first time these bots have raised ire. A Google engineer was fired for touting their bot had a soul. And in an interview with Wired along the way, he didn't negate that the bot showed racist or sexist tendencies. So the question becomes, how do we limit who is teaching these programs? Right, And that actually isn't part of the program in broad-based machine learning. You know, and do these companies go in and delete or reprogram the software, you know to a level that the general public would find suitable? And these insider type questions are things that you know we will really never know. But it did come out in I found in another article in my research that when Google had an issue regarding its photo imagery, back in 2014, instead of reprogramming the way that the software was categorizing images, Google just deleted the option for one of the categories. So, you know, the bias was still there. It just didn't have a place to put it, right? And, you know, this technology, it's moving so fast in terms of development, you know, which is equally adjusting for errors, but also opening, you know, the software up for new paths of critique. And all of these big companies that are developing and using AI, they all face the same biased AI issues because the software programs and the platforms that are being built, they are built in a way that replicates the biases of the almost entirely male, predominantly white workforce that are making it. And from a New York Times article, a quote from Dr. Timnit Gebru, founder of the organization Black and AI, writes I'm not worried about machines taking over the world. I'm worried about groupthink, insularity, and arrogance in the AI community, especially with the current hype and demand for people in the field, she wrote. The people creating the technology are a big part of the system. If many are actively excluded from its creation, This technology will benefit a few while harming a great many. And Dr. Gebru was later hired by Google and worked with another woman, Dr. Margaret Mitchell, on a group dedicated to ethical AI inside of Google. And, you know, that was a light inside a tunnel of sorts until Dr. Gebru said that she was fired from Google after criticizing Google's approach to minority hiring. And Dr. Mitchell, who defended Gebru, was removed as well. So, you know, more of corporations in charge, keeping the status quo, it seems, you know, especially in the tech sector. And it's a problem that really will take a revolution to solve. And it's why we must give heed to the growth of this technology and its used in existing systems that are known to have, or known or to have, the potential to oppress, such as the criminal justice system and policing. So, you know, yeah, I went there. I had to go there because for all the good, the optimized streaming of your Netflix shows, being served up product suggestions and using your voice for queries, there is a very real opportunity for things that you do not agree with to be at work. And this is why we need to support diversity in tech and why we need to advocate and push for STEM in every school, no matter the area. And it really does start way back there. All right, I'm going to shift gears now. In part one, we went from big business, uh, and talking about big businesses, to some lesser-known companies that we small business owners may interact with and employ for our businesses. So let's talk about some cons, so to speak, or conversations to be aware of in that area. We talked about artificial intelligence making its way in copywriting and content apps and platforms. And I have been testing out Jasper AI myself to really get a sense of the experience. And the real con by writers and those in the industries is, you know, they say that these platforms are not a replacement for human writers. There's also a worry that that will replace humans and take over their jobs. But I don't think that AI is a replacement for human anything. You know, it's so interesting that computers can, quote unquote, think of sorts, but they will never compare to the nuances of human interaction and creativity, and conversation. And all of this works, these platforms, this content and copywriting software, it works because AI is pulling from millions of data points on the web. You know, things that are already existing. So it appears to think when really the programs are accessing data, organizing it, and spitting it back out to you to answer your query. For copywriting use, it can be a launching off point. You know, it can be an idea generator, but nothing that I have pulled out from machine copy is close to being ready to use without the infusion of my own thoughts and personality. And, you know, after experiencing it now, I can see how some run-of-the-mill sites and creators can take what is produced in these copy and content platforms and use it verbatim. You know, those websites and that content is just as bland as you imagine. And to truly engage the audience who is reading, you know, we need to invoke our personalities, our own insights, and our own stories and examples to what we are creating. And maybe, you know, there are better machines out there, um, you know, ones that can learn your personality and spit out content. And that, you know, does sound like you and generates ideas that you might even think about. But until that time, I'd say plan on manually injecting yourself into anything that you produce via these AI copy and content platforms. And artificial intelligence is also big in the arenas of imagery. And for business owners, when using AI-generated images, there's you know presentations, images, videos, logos, like you can create so much. Much of this is either based off of templates and an existing library of imagery that the software pulls from. So without your own personal touch, you are basically creating stock, really. And as these tools tout to be plagiarism-free, they are basically saying and creating the same thing in a different way or creating the same image or logo or presentation in a different way. And all of this is really causing a stir in the art world. Recently, a man entered an image into an art competition and the image was created by an artificial intelligence image platform. And he won the blue ribbon at the Colorado State Fair. And to be fair, you know, he entered his artwork in the digital arts or digitally manipulated photography category. And he was very transparent about his work being created with the software platform called MidJourney. It's an AI system that creates images via text-based codes or keywords that you input. And when news of this win hit the Twitter sphere Blew up, you know, and networks from CNN to the New York Times have been reporting on it. So here's a few of the dissenting tweets that were tweeted out. Quote, this sucks for the same exact reason we don't let robots participate in the Olympics, one Twitter user wrote. Quote, this is the literal definition of pressed a few buttons to make digital art, another tweeted. AI artwork is the banana taped to the wall of the digital world now. And to the artist's credit, You know, he still needed to use a process, you know, to create this winning artwork. It's not as simple as saying full moon in a field and the software, you know, produces a masterpiece. But it really, this instance really does bring up some deep emotions. And, you know, the New York Times article does a good job of summing it up. These apps have made human artists understandably nervous about their own futures, Why would anyone pay for art, they wonder, when they can generate it themselves? They have also generated fierce debates about the ethics of AI-generated art and opposition from people who claim that these apps are essentially a high-tech form of plagiarism. It later states, Some artists defended the artist, saying that he was using AI to create a piece, Or his using AI to create a piece was no different from using Photoshop or other digital image manipulation tools, and that human creativity is still required to come up with the right prompts to generate the award winning piece. And my photo history background loves that this is reminiscent of the age old controversy between painters and those who use a camera. But these new technological tools are different, though, to critics nowadays because the apps are built by scraping millions of images from the open web and with then teaching algorithms to recognize patterns and relationships in those images and so that they generate new ones in the same style. And that means that artists who upload their works to the internet may be unwittingly helping to train their algorithmic competitors. So, there's a lot to unpack here with the ethics of these artistic creations, and AI is the driving force behind them. And two more topics I want to talk about and touch on when it comes to the dark side of artificial intelligence. And, like, I'm literally bringing these up because they are so in depth that I just want to get you thinking about these topics and know that they're a consideration. And number one is security. You know, with this technology, artificial intelligence, widely available to the public, our security is at risk. You know, scammers and nefarious folk can create amazingly realistic images to deceive. You know, it's already out there with deep fakes. And, you know, I've mentioned those on the podcast before, but think about it. You know, if computers can make absolutely realistic imagery, think about how it can be used to deceive. And also even in the the chatbot instance, you know, you there can be fake chatbots that are made that you're giving information to and entering your information in. So identity theft is a option there or an an opportunity for identity theft there. And lastly, I want to mention privacy. You know, this is a huge issue that again, I can only scratch the surface on of this episode, but you know, I would really be remiss not to mention it. With AI powering so much. This again backs into the equitable development and use of this technology. And according to the Brookings Institute, much of the most privacy-sensitive data analysis today, such as search algorithms, recommendation engines, and ad tech networks are driven by machine learning and decisions by algorithms. As artificial intelligence evolves, It magnifies the ability to use personal information in ways that can intrude on privacy interests by raising analysis of personal information to new levels of power and speed. I mean, think about it. Any Google search you do on a medical condition, right? That's lumped into the giant search network of things. And, you know, facial recognition systems, they are also a part of this. Again, from Brookings Institute, Facial recognition systems offer a preview of privacy issues that emerge. With the benefit of rich databases of digital photographs available via social media, websites, driver's license registries, surveillance cameras, and other sources, machine recognition of faces has progressed rapidly from fuzzy images of cats to rapid, though still imperfect, recognition of individual humans. So what can be done to slow this wild ride? You know, we can seek to create legislation for now to limit its use. But as citizens, we also have to stay involved, stay astute to the political conversations that are taking place. This stuff is being talked about and voted on. You know, what's your stance? You know, Do you want your voice and your opinion to be heard? then you've got to participate in the conversation. Not only vote as part of the conversation, but know the stance of those you vote, you know, know their stance on these issues of privacy and technology and the development and use of it. Yes, it's a tall order, but cities around our nation are already deciding how they want to use this technology in their communities. It's happening. And with things that move this fast, it will happen with or without you. So, whew, another loaded episode. You know, not all sunshine and rainbows here, but it's reality and these are concepts that we have to talk about. You know, we have to take a side on and we have to know what's driving the technology revolution. Because when you do this, you can be thoughtful about where things fit into and fit with your core values. You know, what is it that you want to support? Again, there are no right answers here. Only what's right for your own personal beliefs. But it all starts with understanding how this stuff works and what are some of the pitfalls. So I hope I shed a little bit of light into this area and got you thinking, you know, got you paying attention more to what all this tech mumbo jumbo means for you and your life your business life, your family life. And I would love to hear what you think about all this. You know, send me a DM on Facebook or Instagram and share your thoughts. All right, have a great and thought-provoking week. Thanks for joining me today. You can access more info in the show notes at thelonggamepodcast.net. If today's show connected with you in some way, please share it with your friends or hop on iTunes and leave me a review. Until next time, keep playing the long game.